Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for Your love and Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the law. Because, Lord, we know that the law is a mirror that reveals to us our need for a Savior. Father, I pray as we look at the Ten Commandments tonight, Lord, that we just get a clearer understanding, Lord, of just the, the purpose behind them and the passion You have for us. Lord, I just thank You for each person who's here tonight, Lord, after a long and a busy day at work or school or whatever they've been doing, Lord. And I just pray that You would comfort each person who's here. Just give them ears to hear. May Your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Exodus 20. As we come to Exodus 20, those of you who were last week, in Exodus 19, is one of the most awesome events in the Bible because we see Almighty God speaking audibly. I talked about how there's a lot of things in the Bible I would really love to see, but Exodus 19 would have to be right up there on the list. Here all the Israelites are. They come to their final resting place. And when they get to their final place in the wilderness before they were to enter into the promised land, we know they're going to blow it and have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But they come to that final place at Mount Sinai. And when they're there, all three million people, God speaks to Moses, calls Moses up, and has all the children of Israel gather together. And as they gather together, literally Almighty God descends around, comes upon the mountain, and speaks audibly to the people. And now all of that, all the, it was lightning and thundering, the earth was quaking, the people were shaking, the people were in fear, and all of it was to prepare them for what they're going to hear tonight, which is the Ten Commandments. He wanted them to see clearly how important these commandments or these laws were. Imagine up to this point there are no laws. There's no laws. Now, there's laws that have been written on their heart. There's been things that have been imparted through, through Abraham and through Moses and others. And, but at the same time, there's no written law. And without written law, there's anarchy and there's chaos and there's no understanding. So the Lord is going to clearly give them the law. And as He gives them the law, He will give them understanding. And that understanding will be that they are in desperate need for a Savior. Some neat things about the, Him speaking out of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the, one of the highest peaks in, in the entire region, it was over 7,000 feet high. It was a big rectangle, looks like a big pulpit. Thundering, lightning was coming down. And he said, he told them, be ready because on the third day, something incredible is going to happen. We know the third day points to the resurrection. We know that he came down on the mountain, that points to his being incarnate, Jesus Christ. And then we know that the way that he called them all to the mountain was he blew a trumpet. We know in Revelation that the trumpet points to the, resur- points to the rapture excuse me, and the second coming of Christ. So what's awesome about this is we see all the way back in Exodus 19 a picture of the incarnation of Christ on the earth, a picture of the resurrection from the dead, and a picture of the rapture of the church. Pretty awesome. And so they all come to the mountain, and that's where we get when we get to chapter 20 tonight. They're all around it, ready to hear from God, ready to find out exactly what it is that God wants to say to them. Now, I want to say an important note about the, these commandments tonight. And the, the Ten Commandments are divided in a couple different ways. First of all, the first four commandments talk about man's relationship to God. Okay? First four commandments talk about man's relationship to God, and the last six commandments talk about man's relationship to man. Okay? So, man's, so it talks both about a horizontal and a vertical relationship. Okay? And again, another picture of the cross. A horizontal relationship and a vertical relationship. Okay? We also know that as we go through the law, we're going to be looking at the law for a long time now, from Exodus 20 all the way through Leviticus and into Numbers, and we're going to be looking at the law. But I want you to know that there's a couple different things about the law. There's the law of God, and there's the law of Moses. And people today will say, well, we're not under the law anymore. And you know what? That's true. When you come to church here on Sunday morning, we're not dragging any lambs up front here and making sacrifice, are we? Amen? 
Why? Because we're not under the Mosaic law anymore. But we are still under the law of God. And the law of God is included in the Ten Commandments. Do the Ten Commandments still apply to us today? The answer is absolutely. Now there is one of the commandments that I'm going to show you that was for the Jews only, but the other nine were universal. All right? So let's just begin by taking a look, and again, we're going to see the, the law of, of God because it's being spoken directly to men. You know, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 7, it says, I would not have known sin except through the law, for apart from the law, sin was dead. And it's so important today. You know, isn't it, isn't it unique that, it doesn't it seem stupid that the government wants to take the Ten Commandments down off the government buildings? Doesn't it seem crazy that they want to take it out of school? Thou shalt not murder. We can't be having that up on the schools. That's, that's inflicting religious beliefs. You know, we can't be telling teenagers to stop killing each other. That would be a bad thing. I mean, it just seems insane that we want to take the Ten Commandments down. But Satan knows that without law, there is no conviction. And without conviction, there is no conversion. So water down the law, take away anything that might convict somebody. And so there's an attack on the Ten Commandments these days. And that's one of the reasons I had you guys stand up and recite the Ten Commandments. Because I would hope that we would know what they are. Again, we're not saved by the commandments, but they're revealed to us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? So let's begin in verse 1, taking a look at, in Exodus 20. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, again, for all of us today. And God spoke all these words, saying... Now, it says there, God spoke. And this is God, as we learned from the last chapter, speaking audibly. Now, sometimes God would speak through men. Some guy, sometimes God will speak, speak in a still, small voice. This is literally Almighty God speaking audibly to three million people. What a sermon. Amen? Almighty God. The voice is coming down. And they hear the voice of God. It's interesting to note that not only were the Ten Commandments spoken by God, but we know that they were written by God. Remember when Moses, we're going to see this in a few chapters, when he goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, what were the Ten Commandments written with? Who remembers? The, the finger of God. You know, I thought about this. Again, this is, I'm kind of crazy sometimes. But you know, people are paying like tens of thousands of dollars for Babe Ruth's autograph. I wonder what God's autograph would be worth, right? I mean, you know what I mean? The finger, you know, the finger of God. God literally reaches down and he, with his handprint, writes it. So he speaks it and he writes it. Do you think he's serious about the Ten Commandments? Amen? I mean, he opens up the sky and he speaks audibly to let everybody hear it. And then he writes it with his own hand that it might be delivered. Now, not only did he speak it and he wrote it, but he also preserved the Ten Commandments. Who, where did they put the, the tablets? Who remembers? In the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And they carried the Ark of the Covenant with them out into battle. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And it's interesting to note that the mercy seat set above the Ten Commandments. Why? Because without mercy, we cannot view the law. There were never, if anybody ever took the mercy seat off and looked directly at the law, they would die. That's what happened. Why? Because without mercy, we cannot stand up under the law. So this law that God is handing down, this, the law of God, this spoken word, he wrote it himself, he preserved it in an awesome and a powerful way. Again, sometimes you think, oh, the Ten Commandments, that's the Old Testament, but we need to see it because it is a mirror. It is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. It's something that shows us our desperate need for, for our Savior. Verse 2. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So, it's amazing to me that they would need a reminder, but evidently they did. He said, I want you to know who I am. Now, you have to remember in Egypt, there were over 300 deities that they worshipped. 
And Almighty God wanted to make it very clear who he was. You know what? Our God is not hiding from anybody. Amen? It's not a mystery. He's not hiding. He so desires above all else to make it very clear who he is. We should know, people say, well, I've been searching for God. And I'll tell them, no, you haven't. Because if you were searching, you'd have found him. Amen? Because God's not hiding. Amen? You may be seeking after a God of your own creation. You may be seeking after a God to let you do whatever you want, but you haven't truly sought the true and living God because if you had, you would have found Him. And if you're really seeking, let's sit down and we can talk about it and you can find Him right now. Amen? But God's not hiding. But God comes before them and remember, He's already parted the Red Sea. He's already delivered them out of bondage. He's led them out with a pillar of fire and a cloud by day, right? He leads them everywhere they went. He took them through the Red Sea and then on the other side, He fed them with manna. He cared for them every step of the way. And at the same time, He's still reminding them, I am the Lord. Not only did He speak, but again, He reveals His power and His authority by reminding them of the things that He's already done. He's delivered them out of bondage. So let's begin by looking at the first four commandments. Again, the first four commandments deal with man's relationship with God. Our relationship with God. Let's begin by looking at number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen? You shall have no other gods before me. Now, to us, that might not seem like a major point, but there are no other gods. The word there, before me, could also, and I believe a better interpretation is, besides me. There are no other gods besides me. We see throughout Scripture that God says, I am the only God. There is no gods before me or after me. Besides me, there are no other gods. There is only one God. Remember that they had been 400 years in bondage in an Egyptian uh, land where there were over 300 deities. They had deities for everything. And God is making it clear. I want you to understand there are no other gods besides me. I am the only true and living God. There is no other. Now, in the world of political correctness, people don't like that. And the word I wrote here, I wrote a word down for each one of the commandments. And the first one I wrote is relationship. For the first commandment, relationship. Why? Because there is no other God. And the first thing about the first commandment is that we must have a relationship with the true and the living God. Apart from Him, there are no others. And the politically correct world says, oh man, you know what, that's narrow-minded. You know, that's closed-minded, man. That's, you know, I don't know how long we're going to last on the radio. We'll find out. We're on today for the first time. We'll just see how it works out. But you know what? If you just keep speaking the truth, there's some people who aren't going to like it very much. If you tell people that, you know what? Buddha is dead. Hare Krishna is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Mary Baker Eddy is dead. They're all dead. Every other path leads to hell. People go, dude, you're narrow. That's, that's crazy, man. But you know what? It's amazing to me that, you know, it'd be like if you were standing in a... Can you imagine if you were on a ship and the ship was sinking, and someone came to you and said, this is the boat that will take you to safety. And they're like, well, dude, I need multiple choices. I, I, you know, I can't, you know, one choice is not good enough for me. Well, you know, if you get on this boat right here, it will take you to safety. Just come on, bro, it's right here. No, well, I, you know, I think that's narrow. I'd kind of like to have four or five things to choose from. How about any helicopters coming by? I'm thinking I might just want to stay here. And the reality is it's not narrow to preach the truth without compromise. Amen? You know, the Bible does say that narrow is the path that leads to salvation, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. And the Lord says, there's no other God besides me. I'm it. And you know what? I'm so glad. Aren't you, aren't you glad there aren't 500 gods out there and you're trying to figure out which one's the best? What a nightmare that would be. I am so glad that God made it so clear that there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and Almighty God is it. All other false gods are in direct opposition to the true and living God. You cannot serve other gods and serve the true and living God at the same time. It's impossible. 
People will tell you, well, yeah, you know, but I, you know, I, I kind of follow after, you know, this yogi over here, and I kind of like some of the things that Muhammad teaches, and I'm kind of into the Quran, but I'm also into the Bible. Now, you can't be. You know, I remember going down south to visit a friend of mine, and he just thought he was going to blast me. He was a philosophy guy, and he gets me in his garage, and he starts taking out all these books from all these different teachers, and he says, now, all these people believe in this, and 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 you're telling me that the only one that's true is the Bible. I said, absolutely. Oh, man, that's narrow. What about all the people? I said, well, first of all, how many truths can there be? Can there be ten truths? There's only one truth, amen? There can't be reincarnation and appointed for man once to live and then to die and then to judgment. Can both of those things be true? And he goes, well, no. I go, okay, this guy believes in reincarnation, this guy believes in reincarnation, this guy believes in reincarnation. Let's get rid of that. Now, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. So that's in the Bible. Oh, Muhammad said he's a prophet. Joseph Smith said he's a prophet. This guy says he's a prophet. Well, those all can't be true and the Bible. And by the time you're done, guess what? It's got to be the Bible or not. Amen? You've got to choose it's Jesus Christ or it's something else. And God's making it very clear. There are no other gods besides me. I'm it. And I'm thankful. Amen? You're the true and the living God, and you suffered and died that we might have eternal life. Look at number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. The second thing, along with relationship that comes from the first commandment, is worship that comes from the second commandment. You shall have no graven image. There should be nothing else that you honor, that you magnify, that you, that you seek after, or that you worship. Now it's interesting that it even says, anything that is in heaven above. Now, aren't there a few churches, probably within a mile of here, that you can walk into and you will see images that they think they've taken from heaven above? Amen? You walk in, they may have statues to Mary. And people go over and pray to those statues. You walk in, they got statues to all the different saints. Right? Second commandment. There are no other gods. There's only one God, and you shall make no graven images. And you walk right in the front door, and what do they have? Other gods built up and graven images to them. You know what else? I'll tell you, it frustrates me. Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross. Amen? And you go into places and they got Jesus on the cross and they tell you every time you take communion, he's having to get back up on that cross again and then, he, then his flesh, you're eating his flesh again and he's being crucified over and over and over and over. That's a lie. What did he say when he was done on the cross? The talisty. It is finished. Amen? There's no more. That's it. And so he says, don't make any images. Don't make anything. Don't bow to anything. You know what? And I don't mean to get on you, but here's the reality. We should not have pictures of Jesus in our house. Let me tell you why. You got Jesus in your heart. You know, what's amazing to me is people have a lot of pictures and a lot of statues and a lot of stuff. You know why? Because they're trying to find God. They don't have a personal, intimate relationship with God, so they've got to put a bunch of pictures and statues and things up to try to somehow make a connection with God. Have something they can grab, something they can hold on to. Well, let me tell you right now that Jesus Christ is my best friend. I walk with Him, I talk with Him, I, I know Him better than I know my wife. I have an intimate relationship with Him, and I don't need pictures to remind me of Him. Amen? He's with me 24-7. And what happens is that, and I, you know what, I'm pleased. I'm not trying to offend anybody. If you've got a picture of Jesus at home and your motives are pure, that's great. But what I'm saying is that don't make that an idol. Don't, make, don't think that, that a picture of, you know, first of all, we don't know what Jesus looked like. That's what someone thinks he looks like, right? And we don't need, you know, we don't need statues of Mary and necklaces with saints. By the way, we're all saints. Amen? 
I'm not, you know, do you have like a, a, stat, you know, a, a necklace of your uncle who died? I mean, you don't do that. But we have these statues. We've got saints. We've got all these things we worship. There's no other gods. Don't make any graven images. There's only one true and living God. Likeness of angels, dead saints. Again, it's worship. And there's only one that we worship. When men create gods, it's typically that they create them in their own image. Not in God's image, in their own image. Right? You ever notice that? And, you know, Greek mythology... It's always something that, well, if I was God, these are the powers I would have, so let me create a God that's got the powers I would have if I were God. Well, that sounds, you know, that's great, but that's not in the Bible. It's not scriptural, and it gets people's eyes off the true and living God and gets them on false gods. What do people do when they're rebellion? They're saying, if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, you know what? I'm glad you're not God if you've got that attitude. Amen? You know, people say it all the time, well, if I were God, I would never have let 9-11 happen. But here's the reality. There's wickedness and sin in this world, and it's only by God's mercy that our whole country hasn't been wiped out a long time ago. Amen? It's not, I'm not blown away by what happens. I'm blown away that a lot more hasn't happened. Amen? It's God's mercy, His grace. Praise the Lord for it. And you know what? My heart breaks when I hear of people dying. That's, that's horrible. It breaks my heart. But at the same time, praise the Lord that we live in a country where we can worship God, we can know about Him. We need to have an urgency because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. People say, I don't understand why God would do that. I don't understand why God has allowed us to stay as long as He has. Look at verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You know what? There are idols in churches today where people go in and they kiss the idol. They, they kiss the feet of the idol. They touch the idol. Or they go in and maybe they have pictures. I know there's a couple guys on our church softball team that go to a church where they go in and as soon as they get there, they get down on their knees and they kiss these paintings of these saints. And they kiss them. I mean, help me out with that. Now, the reality is, there's no, no, no graven image. Don't bow down. What Bible are you reading? You walk into your church building, and the first thing you do is you bow down and kiss the picture of something. You don't worship any other gods. There's no other gods beside me, before me. You know what? There's only one mediator between man and God, and that's our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen? But people will go in, and they'll get in a box and tell some other guy their sin, a guy who's a sinner himself. He can't intermediate for you. Amen? You know why? Because sinful man cannot bring sinful man to holy God. It must be a holy God who is the intermediary between sinful man and holy God. Amen? That's why Jesus Christ is the only way. So it says, don't bow down, don't worship, don't don't bow to them. Now, in the previous verse, I I meant to say one other thing. It says, or anything in the ocean. Well, here in Santa Cruz, I think that there's more people worshiping whales than worshiping Jesus. Amen? dolphins and whales and all kinds. And again, we, you know, we shouldn't be hurting animals. I mean, the Bible says that a righteous man cares for his animal. And I love animals. I've never shot an animal in my life. I don't ever plan on doing it. You know, it's not something I do. And if, you, if you're a hunter, that's fine. The Bible says rice, kill, and eat. That's fine. But here's the thing. I don't worship animals. That's stupid. Worshiping animals? You know, what's scary to me, you go to India, there's cows walking all around the street, and people dying of starvation, and they got cows out in the street, because they worship cows. And what does it say right here? Don't worship the animals, don't worship things in the ocean. There's only one true and living God. Now, why does it say this? Because God knew people were going to be doing this. He knew people were going to be bowing down and worshiping idols. He knew they were going to be worshiping animals. They're going to be worshiping anything of their own creation. They're going to be, you know, making a block of wood and cutting half of it up and throwing it in the fire and taking the other half and carving some eyes and a mouth. And there's my God. Put it up on your mantle. Ooh, start bowing down to the, you know, he's got eyes and he can't see. Got ears and he can't hear. The sad part is that the guy who carves it can't see or hear either when it comes to spiritual things. 
So we see here, look at the next of verse 5. So don't bow down, for I am the Lord your God. The iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I will visit, I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers. So listen to this. You don't bow down and serve them. But also what he says in the middle of this, he says, I will visit iniquity upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now, I want to make this really clear. God does not place a curse on the downline. You know, people, it, this, this applies to fathers, not kids. If you're a mom or a dad here, you need to take heed to this. What it means is that the way you raise your family will impact, if the Lord tarries, several generations to come. But if you live in a family and you grew up in a family where your parents didn't treat you right, you can't blame this on them. You can't say, well, I'm not walking with God because of the curse of three generations ago. I hear a lot of that stuff, that psychobabble, it's out of the pit of hell, it's not true. Did Jesus die for you? Does he love you? Does he want to have a relationship with you? Is he willing to forgive you? Absolutely. You don't need Prozac, you don't need a 12-step program, you need Jesus. Amen? You need a loving, merciful God who will care for you, who will draw you unto himself. And too many people, I've had people in counseling sessions go, well, see, it's the curse of the fourth generation, because three generations ago, my grandmother, great-grandmother was into witchcraft, and that's why I, I'm the way I am. I'll stop it. You know what? You're a new creation in Christ. Amen? Old things pass away, all things become new. But it is a warning to parents. Because if we raise our kids, you know what? I guarantee you, your kids will worship, at least for a while, whatever you do. Whatever you worship, your kids will worship. How many guys, it's an old commercial. There was a commercial 15, 20 years ago. A dad's walking around and his little like three or four year old son's walking behind him. And he walks up and he kicks the can and the kid walks up behind him and he kicks the can. Then he walks over and he picks up a rock and he throws it and skips on a lake and the kid skips on a lake. And then finally you see the dad lighting up a cigarette and the kid reaches down and grabs a stick and pretends like he's smoking. It was an anti-smoking commercial. It just talks about how kids follow the pattern of their parents. But the reality is that our kids are watching. And if you're worshiping the Lord, they're going to see that and they're going to say, wow. And they're going to at least initially say, man, I want to know about the Lord. I want to see who this God is. If you're worshiping money, your kids are going to worship money. If you worship your career, your kids are going to worship your career. If you worship athletics, your kids are going to worship athletics. If you put sports above church, your kids will think sports are more important than church and more important than God. If you put your career above, if you put recreation, anything that you do, your kids are watching, they're going to follow your pattern. And he says here, don't bow down, and you know what? The sins that you commit will fall to the generations that come behind you. He's saying, if you're bowing down to idols, you're going to have kids who are bowing down to idols, who are serving false gods. So it doesn't only impact you, but it impacts your children. It's heavy. Our God is a jealous God, it says there. Now what does that mean? He's jealous of the false gods? No, there are no false gods for him to be jealous of. They don't exist. Amen? What's he jealous of? He's jealous of your affection. He loves you you're always on his mind. He never stops thinking about you. He's numbered the hairs in your head. He cares about everything you care about. When you weep, he weeps. When you're depressed and bummed out, he's, he, it breaks his heart. When you go through difficulties and trials and struggles, he's right there with you. That's our God. And he's envious of your affection. There's nothing he treasures more than you. You're his treasured possession. Isn't that incredible? The creator of the universe treasures you. He can make anything he wants and you're his treasure. And so it says there, he's a jealous God. He's jealous for those things. Verse 6. 
but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So there's going to be struggles and difficulties for those who walk away from God and the generations that fall behind them. But those who fall in love with the Lord, there will be blessing on their children. You know what? I thank God all the time that I grew up in a Christian home. I praise the Lord for that. My mom and dad's 45th anniversary yesterday. Happy anniversary. And you know what? Praise the Lord. Amen. And praise the Lord that I grew up in a Christian home. And you know what else gets me excited? Is, you know, when I did the Giblin's baby dedication. Or when I hear about some of you guys that I know love the Lord and you're having children, I think, oh, that's wonderful. Why? Because I know your kids are going to grow up in a godly home. That's exciting to me. There's nothing greater. There's no, I know no greater joy than my children walk in the truth. So we will either pass a curse down to our kids and that they will worship the false things because they'll see what we're worshiping, or we'll be worshiping the true and living God. We'll be modeling out that relationship with the Lord. Our kids will see it and they'll want it too. What are you modeling for your kids? What do they see? What, if, they asked you, if, they, if we were to ask your children right now, what is the most important thing in the world to mom? What's the most important thing in the world to dad? Would they say God? Would they say Jesus? Or would they say something else? If it's something else, pray and ask God to help you get your priorities where they need to be. Amen? Because it should be God, no other gods before me. That includes the mall. Amen? That includes your car. That includes whatever it is that you're into. No other gods before the true and the living God. The third commandment, verse 7, says... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I wrote another word for this one. With the first commandment, I wrote relationship. With the second commandment, I wrote worship. For the third commandment, I wrote reverence. Having reverence for God. Have you ever noticed that nobody ever swears to Buddha? Anybody say, swear to Buddha? I've never heard anybody say that once in my life. I've never heard him say it. They don't curse, you know, Joseph Smith, or, you know, they don't say, oh, you know, oh, Muhammad. I mean, they don't do that. They only curse Jesus. And you know, have you ever noticed that? You know why that is? Because he's God. He's the only true and living God. He's the one. You hear people all the time curse his name. And you know what fries me? You know what, I haven't been to a movie in a long time, and I may never go to another one, because I, I heard about this thing called ScreenIt.com. It's pretty neat. You dial in ScreenIt.com, you click on any movie, and it will tell you if there's any language in the movie. And you know what? If they got language in the movie, I'm not going. So guess what? That leaves me out of like 99% of the movies out there. Because you know what? I can't in good conscience take God's money and go take the money he's given me that belongs to him and then go pay it to a man and then sit in a theater and listen to them curse his name. I, you know, I just can't. There's no way. That's the third commandment. And people take his name in vain. I'll tell you what. It's like someone cursing my earthly father. If someone's cussing out my dad, you know, I'm going to be upset. And I'm probably going to go, hey, bro, come here, you know? <laughs> Think on someone your own size, right? I mean, I, I say, come over here. But here's the thing. People curse our Heavenly Father. How does it make you feel? Does it break your heart? And I want to say this. I believe that we need, to, we need to change our vocabularies. I don't think, oh, my gosh, is a good word. You know why? Because what's that a substitute for? You know, gosh darn it. What's that? What is that a substitute for? Taking God's name in vain. And you might think, Pastor Dave, come on, man. We're, we're lighting up a little bit. Hey, do we have reverence for his name? Do you know the Jews, when they were writing the Old Testament, that every time they wrote the name of God, that they would stop and do a cleansing ritual? They would cleanse their entire body, go in and write one letter, go back, cleanse their entire body, taking several hours each time, go back, write one more letter, go back, cleanse their body again, go back, write one more letter. Did they have reverence for the name of God? And yet we're flip about his name. 
You know, people, you know, just say his name. And, you know, they take Jesus' name. You know what? We, if, we, if we're using his name, we better be telling somebody about him or worshiping him. Amen? Anything else? Unacceptable. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And it says, he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He will not hold him guiltless. That's heavy. This is, now remember, this is, I will not hold him. He's on the mountain when this is happening, okay? And you got that, you know, they're shaking in their boots. And there should be some fear. There should be some awe. There should be some reverence for the name of Almighty God. I also believe taking His name in vain is false prophecy. When people get up and say, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord didn't say it, that's taking God's name in vain. Amen? A lot of people get up and say, oh, the Lord told me that if I, you know, and you see, especially on TV, and the Lord said, and if we don't do this, and you know, and I, Oh, dude, man, go off the air then. You know, you know, and, you know, I saw a 75-foot Jesus in my backyard. And he said, if I don't get $50 million by Friday, we're going to go off the air, and he's going to come take me home. Please, Lord, take him home quickly. You know, Get him out of here. I don't even want him on my TV anymore. I mean, the reality is, people, that's false prophecy. Amen? That's prophesying something that's not true. That is taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. Amen? We need to have reverence for his name, honor for his name, worshiping his name. Fourth commandment, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor but, and do all the work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your, stra- nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The fourth one I put, along with relationship, and worship and reverence as I put time. We need to make time for the Lord. Amen? You know what? He created the universe in six days. And then He took a day off. He's Almighty God, right? Do you think we can take a day, and we should be taken every day, but can we take a day and just honor Him? And not be so focused on going water skiing, or going doing this, or going doing that, and going doing this, and going doing that. Yeah, I go to church once every couple of months or so. Why? Well, I'm into water skiing and I'm playing a softball team and I got this and I got this and I got this and I got this and I got this. I just don't have time for God. No time for God. You know, you find out your priorities real quick. Amen? And I'm not just trying to get you to show up at church on Sunday, but you know what? It's a heart issue. You know, for me, church is never, and this is before I was a pastor. It's not just because I'm the pastor I'm saying this. But I love to go to church. And I know I'm speaking to the choir. You guys are here and it's Wednesday night, right? But I mean, I love it. I love to go hang out with God's people. I love to get there early and just talk to people. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a blessing. It's a get-to, not a have-to. And the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I want to say this real quick, just so we have understanding. Because there are some people that will tell you that even today, we should be worshiping on Saturday. We, meet, we get to meet here because it's the seventh day I've been in school, and they worship on Saturday, okay? Now, why is it that we worship on Sunday? When we see this Sabbath day, the Sabbath was the seventh day. First day of the week is Sunday. Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. And the seventh day at Venice, believe that that's the day because it goes right here. You say, well, Pastor David says it right there. Why don't we worship on Saturday? Well, it says this in Genesis chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. It says, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel of Israel. It is a covenant between me and the children of Israel. Now, of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. One of them is not. Guess which one? This one. 
Now, it's interesting to me, when did the first century church meet? When was their, they met all the time, but when was their corporate meeting? Sunday. Why was it on Sunday? What happened on Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. So we meet on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? And that's the day that he rose from the dead. That's the day that the first century church met. Now here's the reality, you guys. We can meet on any day a week that we want. They're all God's days anyway. Amen? We don't worship him one day a week and live like the devil the rest of the week. That's not what it means. We worship him and we live for him and we serve him seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Amen? We have an intimate personal relationship with him all day long. But it's, the thing I want you to see about this is that we make sure we take time to worship. Take time to spend in his presence. Take time to be with him. Make him the first priority. You know what? If I was courting my wife and I never, ever, ever spent any time with her, how long do you think that would last? Not very long. If I never talked to her, if every time she talked to me, I covered my ears and went, ah, da, 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 you know, that wouldn't work. Why? Because I need to have a relationship. And you know what? Some people say, oh yeah, i got a relationship with God. When's the last time you talked to him? Oh, well, it's been a while. I haven't talked. When's the last time that you let him speak to you through his word? Oh, it's been a while. That's not a courtship. That's not a relationship. Amen? He's got to be first above all else. So the first four commandments concerning our relationship to God. No other gods before me. No graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Relationship with Him. Worshiping only Him. Having reverence for His name. And taking rest. So let's move on look at the last six commandments. I know we're kind of getting after here already. Honor, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land with, which the Lord God is giving you. So the next word along with relationship and worship and reverence and rest, is authority. The Bible says to submit to the authorities that God has placed over you, and that very first authority in your life, when you're, when you're growing up, along with God Himself, are your parents. And you know what's amazing to me? If you look at how kids are with their parents, you're going to find out very typically how they're going to be with their teachers, how they're going to be with their employers, how they're going to be with their youth pastor. You know what? It starts at home. And they need to honor their mother, and their father. I'm not going to read it to you. Well, I will real quick. It says in Romans, it's interesting because the list that this is in, in Romans chapter 1, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you real quick. It's verse, just so you can check and make sure Pastor Dave's not making this up. It's verses 29 through 31. It says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Isn't that amazing that that is right in the middle of that list with murderers and revilers and all these vile, wicked things, disobedient to parents. God says that we are to, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Ephesians 6.1. One of the first scriptures I have my children memorize when they're kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It's not just listening to mom and dad, but you're honoring God when you do that. You really are. So that's the next one. It's honor your mother and father. And again, you know what? And I want to encourage you as parents. You're not doing your kids any favors to let them just run wild. You're doing them no favors. Oh, I just want to be a permissive mom. I want to be a permissive dad. I I just want to give them their freedom. You know what? They're kids. They don't need any freedom. They need instruction. The Bible says that the rod of correction will drive sin far from them. Right? You know, we have a thing at home called the Board of Education. Kids don't like it much. 
But it's called the Board of Education. My kid, you know, I, we swat our children. Now, I do it in love, never in anger, because we never should do it in anger. And God gave them a nice fatty area right on their backside. It doesn't hurt too much, but it gets their attention. And you know what? I love my kids enough to discipline them. The Bible says, those who the Lord loves, He chastens. Amen? If you're going out and playing in the freeway and your parents aren't looking for you, that's some parents that probably don't care much about you, right? But you know what? I've had kids tell me, man, I, I wish my mom and dad were like you are with your kids. You know, you know what? I wish my, my parents were fairly strict. I wish they'd been more strict. I really do. Looking back, you know, I wish they'd been even more strict. They were strict and it was great and they loved me, but I wish they'd be even more strict. Why? Because my parents know a lot more than I do. Amen? And my kids think they know what's right, but you know, when you're 8, 9, 10, or even 15 or 17, you need godly wisdom and instruction. And you're not doing your kids any favor to let them run wild. You need to be the spiritual leader in your home with your children. God, father, mother, kids. That's how it works. If you're not submitted to God, it's hard for your wife to submit to you. If your wife's not submitted to you and submitted to God, it's hard for your children to submit to both of you. Honor your mother and father, but parents, make sure you're raising your kids in a godly home. Verse 13. You shall not murder. So the next one is life. We need to have respect and honor for life. Who is the one who creates life? Almighty God. And as far as I'm concerned, it's up to Him. I have no, you know, it's not for me to go, so what do I think about abortion? I think it's baby killing, and it's wrong, and it's vile, and it's just, it, you know what? I can't believe God is as merciful as He is. We have killed, I think it's seven times as many people as Adolf Hitler did in this country with abortion. And you know what? People just act like it's no big deal. People are militant about it. And you know, we need to make a stand for life. And say, that's wrong. That's sin. You shall not murder. That's murder. That's what it is. Now you might ask me, well, Pastor Dave, what do you think about the death penalty? Well, the Bible, this is, it doesn't say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. And the Bible says that as a man sows, so that man shall also reap. I wouldn't have a problem if they had everybody just have life imprisonment. That wouldn't bother me. But if, if the government chooses to put someone to death, and somebody's gone out and killed 15 people, I don't necessarily have a problem with that either. Okay, I think that's what the government can do. For me personally, I'm going to go in and witness to that guy. I did prison ministry for four and a half years, and I spent a lot of time over on death row. Nobody else wanted to talk to those guys. I love talking to those guys. Why? Because they need Jesus just like the rest of us. Amen? And so, you know what? You shall not murder. You shall not kill. Now, some of you might think, well, I I don't think that's ever going to happen for me. I don't have to worry about that. But let me just tell you something. Jesus said... In the Sermon on the Mount, if you've had hatred in your heart, you have committed murder. Because you know what? That's when I take this quiz. People always say, oh, I know there's at least one I didn't commit. There's a murder thing in there somewhere, and I know I didn't do that. So we go through the list, and we get to this one. Oh, didn't kill anybody. They would have grabbed the money. Well, just a minute. Bible says, if you've ever had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. You ever hated anybody? You ever said, I hate that guy. You ever said that? And you know what? I know you're a liar. We're going to get to that in a minute. So if you tell me you've never hated anybody, I'm going to believe you anyway. But, you know, the reality is that we're, if we have hatred in our heart, we've committed murder. And you know what? It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's some people that are real easy to hate, aren't there? Isn't that true? There's some people like, man, that guy just grates on me, man. And you know what? What's awesome is God loves him. And when you start praying for him and knowing that God loves him, your heart and your mind, your attitude will change. So you shall not commit adultery in verse 14. The word for that is purity. So again, the same thing that he said for hatred and murder, he said for lust and adultery. The Bible says if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you have committed 
adultery. Hey guys, the only woman you should be looking at is your wife. I don't just mean, I mean, you know, if you see somebody in the church, I, you know what I'm talking about. You don't need to be looking at women in bikinis. At the, oh, I'm just admiring God's creation. Would you stop it? I've had people tell me that. No, you look at your wife. That's it. You don't, put your, you don't need to be looking at that garbage on the internet. Amen? From the pit of hell. Bad news. You know what's sad about the internet? I was a men's ministry pastor in San Jose, and I bet there were at least 40 guys that came up and told me during the time I was there that they were struggling and addicted to pornography on the internet. And these are the same guys that if you gave them $10,000 and asked them to go down the street to the strip bar, there's no way they would do it. Why? Because that would be accountable. Because people would see them. But because of the anonymity of the internet, they do it. Chat rooms. Going into chat rooms and talking to people and having, beginning to have feelings. That's wrong. You don't need to be doing that. Why? It's going to cause you to fall into sin. The next one, verse 15, you shall not steal. The word I put there is property. Have purity and respect others' property. Reputation is what we do when everybody is watching. Character is what we do when nobody is watching. You might say, I don't steal anything. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you cheat on your taxes? Fudge just a little bit? That's stealing. That's taking from somebody something that does not belong to you. It's not yours. You ever take anything from work that's not yours? You ever put in for a certain number of hours and really don't work that many hours and go home early? That's stealing, right? As Christians, we need to be above reproach. We need to be the best workers in the building. Let an error on me being harmed rather than my employer. You think, oh man, you don't know what it's like to work for my boss. God knows he puts you there and the same authority of honoring your mother and father, you honor your employer. Amen? So we need to have purity. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, the sad part is that they did a study not that long ago and they said something like 93% of the people admitted that they lied every single day. And the other 7% were lying, right? I mean, the sad part is that our tongue is a very small thing, but it really controls our whole body, doesn't it? It's kind of like the rudder on a ship. And I believe that there are two main reasons why we lie. Number one, pride. We lie because we want other people to think that we're something that we're really not. We want to give off an image. We want to pretend we've got accomplishments that we don't have. We want to, you know what I mean? And we just, it's pride. And so we lie to earn people's affection. The other reason, I believe, is greed. Quite often people lie for financial gain. They'll tell people something to get them to buy something or do something so that they might profit. They're selling their house. They'll lie about it. They're selling a car. They'll lie about it. They'll lie to, to influence people. And as Christians, we should not lie. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's possession. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that is in your neighbor's house. Now listen, the, that, that word I put there is contentment. You know what? The only reason you covet is you're not content. Amen? The word for number nine, by the way, was tongue. The word for number ten is contentment. You know what? Covetousness is desiring more of something you already have enough of. I've already got plenty, but I need more. And you know what? Your flesh will never be satisfied. You will covet till, your day, till the day you die. You'll never be happy. You'll never have peace. It doesn't matter how much stuff you get. And you know what? The sign of spiritual maturity is someone who can do it the least. I absolutely believe that. Jesus had no place to lay his head. His apostles, his followers just left it all and went and followed him. And you know what? That's maturity because they didn't need anything to have joy. Why? Because their contentment was not in stuff, it was in Christ. Amen? 
Godliness with contentment is great gain, the Bible says. And that's what God desires, that we would be content. Now, the law was not given. We read these laws, and I want you to know the law was not given to make men holy. Because if they could just keep these laws and go to heaven, we wouldn't need the cross. Amen? So he didn't give us this law so we could go, yep, I can do that. Well, you're lying. That's another lie. Number nine. See, you can't do it. And that's what the law is. It's a big mirror that's put right in front of your face and you realize, I'm a sinner. And that's what the law does. Now, the old covenant, that's what this is, the old covenant of the law failed. Why? Because it was dependent upon men. Why did the old covenant fail? Because it was dependent on you and me to obey the law and we blew it. It was dependent on Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden to be obedient to God's command. And they blew it. So guess what? The old covenant, down the drain. Not going to work. But guess what? Here's the good news. There's a new covenant. Amen? And this one's not based on what you do. It's based on what He did for you. Amen? It's not based on how good you are and how great your works are. It's based upon His work upon the cross. It's based upon His faithfulness, His willingness to suffer and die in your place. So he gives them the commandments. The voice comes down from the mountain. We're almost done. And I want to look at the last few things. Now look how the people respond. Now all the people witness the thunderings, the lightning, the flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Well, I think that's probably a natural reaction. Almighty God's speaking from a mountain. Things are shaking. Lightning's coming down. I'd be like, yeah. I'm like, could I get, I'll, I'll be, you know, sitting in the back row, right? I want to get as far away. You know, Lord, I, I trust you and I love you, but, you know, I, I think I can hear okay from back here. And these guys were shaking in their boots. And they moved far away from him. They were scared to death. Look at verse 19. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. You know what? If God comes too near to us, we're going to die. If God speaks to us, it will crush us. It will destroy us. You know what? Our God is mighty and glorious and powerful. And the glory of Almighty God shook these people. And you know what? We should be shaken by the thought of who our God is. Many today stay away from the Word of God because they don't want conviction. Just like these people stayed away from God because they were afraid. They were afraid of conviction. They didn't want to get too near to Him. And many people today do the same thing. Well, you know, I don't want to read the Bible because that's convicting. Oh, you know, I want, to, I want to stay in my sin. I'm comfortable right where I am. Don't be bringing the Word of God on me. That stuff scares me. I don't like that. I might have to change my life or something. You know, I'm just going to stay home and watch, you know, reruns again and again. Oh, I could go to church, but oh, man, I, I might say something that would be convicting. Oh, no, I'm going to stay home. That's not good. And, you know, these people, the same thing. They're kind of staying back. They're just standing back. And I want to encourage you with something. When I, you, you never know it looking at me now, but you can ask my parents, it's true. I used to be a bodybuilder. And when I was a bodybuilder, the hardest thing for me was getting to the gym. But once I got there, I always loved it. It was hard to get there, but once I did, I'd stay for two and a half hours. And, and then when I'd come home, I'd feel great, I'd have a lot of energy. And I want to confess to you that even now, often the hardest part for me is just opening the Bible. Once I open it, I always get blessed. Once I open it, I will spend two or three hours reading it sometimes. When I'm studying, I'll spend ten hours, and it seems like ten minutes, because it's so good. But sometimes the hardest thing to do is crack that thing open, right? Because you sit down, and you got your remote control there, right? Bible, remote control, newspaper, right? Some 
chicken wings or something. You know what I mean? You got all these choices, and you're like, okay, now what do I grab? And a lot of times, the last thing you want to do is grab your Bible because, oh, well, you know, I just don't feel like reading or, you know. That's the time you need to grab your Bible. Amen? You grab that thing and open it up. I promise you, you will be blessed. I don't know how many of you guys got to hear John Corson over at the pastor's conference. You know what? That guy, it, his depth of understanding of the Bible blows my mind. But he said something that really intrigued me. Somebody asked him years ago, you know, John, I wish I knew, I wish I could teach like you do. I wish I had the understanding of the Word like you have. And you know what he said? If you spend as much time as the word, in the Word as I do, you would. There's no mystery to it. The more time you spend with God, the more you will become like Him. Amen? People say, you know, I want to have more faith. Well, what's our theme verse of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You want your faith to grow? Crack open the Bible. Amen? Get this thing out, blow the dust off of it. You know, take that remote control and throw it out the window or something, and get this thing out and spend some time in the Word. Now, you know, watching TV isn't bad, but you know what? It's a drain killer. And for the most part, it's just a window into hell in the corner of your living room, a bunch of stuff you shouldn't be looking at anyway. You know, and you look in there, three hours later, you're like, and how much of the Bible could you have read? You could have read like the book of Acts, right? And instead you watch, you know, Barney reruns or something, I don't know. And you're watching stuff over and over and over, and it just just deadens your brain. We need to read the Bible, we need to open this up, and these people got, the Word got too close to them, and it scared them. And they fled from it. And they pulled back from the Word. We need to run to it. We need to grab hold of it. We need to spend time in it. You know what? The thing that, that I want, my calling as your pastor, it says, here's what my calling is, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you. I'm not the minister. You are. We all are. Amen? People say, oh, that's the minister. No, you're all the ministers. I, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I'm like a chef, man. I'm just frying up food, and here you go. And then you eat it, and you get strong, and then you do the work. It's, and so that's what I'm called to do. And so my prayer is that, that my passion and love for the Bible will be contagious to you guys. Because somebody had passion and love for the Bible that made it contagious to me. Somebody taught me the Word, and I fell in love with the Word. And as I fell in love with the Word, it's, it's exciting to me. I love it. There's a passion for it. And I love seeing the lights. I've seen it already. Some of you guys, the light is going on. And most of you, because you're here on Wednesday night, light's going on. And you're like, yeah, Bible's awesome. The world says, what? The Bible's awesome? Like, I'm not going to go to the Niner game. I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, dude, you're killing me. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to the world. But that's something. They're backing up from the Word. We need to be drawing near to the Word. I'm going way over. Let's move on to verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that this fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Moses assured them that the purpose of God, the display of God's power and holiness was to test them, that they might fear God and the potential consequences of sin. Why, we talked about this last Sunday. Why do people continue just to blaspheme God? There's no fear of God. People don't fear God, so they just do whatever. There's no fear. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now we're going to see in a few chapters, them stepping back is going to be a major problem. Verse 22 through 26, we're almost done. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. You shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your peace offerings, your sheep, your oxen. In every place where I record my name and I come to you, I will bless you. Verse 25. 
And if you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it or hewn stone, hewn stone, for if you use a tool on it, you have profaned it. Now, what does this mean? Don't, don't drop out of me. This last point, okay? Here's the thing. Once they heard the word, they saw the need for sacrifice. As soon as they heard the word, they saw their sin, there was sin and there was a need for sacrifice. But look what he says about the sacrifice. He says, don't build me a huge gold and ornate altar. Don't put other, other statues and emblems up there next to me when you're making sacrifice. You know why? Because the only thing that should have attention when it comes to the sacrifice is the lamb. Amen? It shouldn't be this beautiful, ornate, wonderful thing where people walk in and go, wow, look at that altar. That's incredible. Look at the gold inlay. Someone must have spent hours on that. And look at the little statues on the sides. Wow, that's incredible. And people walk away talking about the altar. You know what? This is a picture of what's going on in a lot of churches today. They've gotten so far away from the sacrifice, so far away from the kingdom of God, that they've got these beautiful buildings trying to somehow make it appear the presence of God is there. You walk in and they've got marble and they've got statues and they've got stained glass windows and they've got all this incredible, beautiful stuff. But people walk in and they're so focused on the ornateness of the building that they miss the Lamb of God. And you know what? God said, make it out of dirt. That's what he says here. Make it out of dirt. And if you make it out of stone, then use stones, but don't even hewn the stones. Don't even make it look good. I, it's not about the altar. It's about the sacrifice. It's not about the building you meet in. It's about coming and meeting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? And you know what? There's a lot of churches where you go in, and man, they spend millions of dollars making these buildings. You go to any Mormon tabernacle, you know, right? They got these big things, and oh, people walk around. Oh, I went and visited the big, the big one in Utah. Oh, you should see. It's incredible. You know what? God's not there. Amen? You go into the same people I was talking about. They got a golden dome on their church and they got all these paintings. They spent all this money and you go in and it's deader than a doornail. I've been in Russian Orthodox churches. You walk inside and you can tell they spent, I mean, hundreds of years of painting. Incredible. Golden domes and when there's poverty and you walk in there and it's deader than a doornail. Why? Because it's a great and a beautiful altar, but the lamb's not there. There's no lamb. There's no sacrifice. There's no Jesus. It's not about where you meet. You know what I love about Calvary Chapels? Half the time, they meet in storefronts, or they meet in, you know, they're meeting in tents, or they meet in gymnasiums at the Seventh-day Adventist school. Amen? You know why? Because it's not about the building. It's about Jesus. Amen? And if God ever does bless us with a building, I promise you, it's going to be functional, but it's not going to be fancy. You know why? Because I don't want people talking about the building when they leave. I want them talking about Jesus. Amen? I want to walk away and say, man, God is awesome. Not, wow, did you see that window up there? That thing was sweet. Did you see how nice that... And that's what the Lord's saying. You know what? The concentration should not be on the altar. It must be on the sacrifice. Last verse. It says, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. It's interesting. He didn't want steps up to the altar. You know, the people at the Tower of Babel had tried to build something to reach God. But the reality is, we can build nothing to reach God. God reached down to us. Amen? We don't build a, a tower. We don't build something we can ascend close to Him. He reached down to us. And it says here, don't make any steps. And you know what? We don't need a 12-step program. Amen? He said, no steps. There's one step. Jesus. Amen? 
Jesus is the only step we need. We'd, we'd reach out to him, and he's the answer. And it's interesting that they wore robes in those days, and if they were to walk up the steps, you know what happens? You get up high on a step, people are going to see your rear end, right? I mean, they got robes on. That's what it says, right? I didn't write it. It says right there. It says the nakedness. So they go up these steps, and they build some tower, and they make some monument, and they make something that's fancy and beautiful. The Lord says, make it out of dirt, keep it on the ground, so you'll see the lamb, not the altar. Amen? So in closing, law is not our path to salvation, but the revelation of our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. What does the law do? It reveals our sin. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt serve no graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your mother and father. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not cover your neighbor's possessions. And it works. And it makes you remember it. But that law is not what saves us. That law is what points us to our need for a Savior. And though, we cannot, though it cannot deliver us from sin, it still can be used in our lives today to help us direct our walk with God. Well, let's close a word of prayer and we'll close a worship song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the Ten Commandments. Father, we thank you that you use the law to reveal to us our need for a Savior. And Father, I just pray for each one that's here. Lord, you just light a new fire in us, Father God. Help us to hunger for your word more than ever before. And Father, to desire you above all else, that we would never put any other gods before you, that we would serve no graven image, that we'd have reverence for your word, that we would take time to spend with you, that we would honor those that you've placed in authority over us, that we would honor life, Lord. That we would not lust in our hearts for those that we're not married to. Father God, that we would not steal and take things that do not belong to us. That we would not bear false witness against those that we don't know. And Lord, that we would not covet the things of this world that are all passing away anyway. Father, I pray, Lord, we would just be filled with you, that you would be our focus, that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys for your patience. And I know I went over. Everybody stand. We're going to close the worship song.